Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is Plush Care. Plush Care is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Story. If you thought the only way to get a more defined jawline with natural-looking results was through surgery, think again. Juvederm Volux XC is a non-surgical injectable gel filler that improves moderate to severe loss of jawline definition and can help you achieve natural-looking results with little downtime. Even better, this improved definition lasts up to one year with optimal treatment. No maintenance required. Improve jawline definition for a smooth, sculpted look with Juvederm Volux XC. For important safety information and to find a licensed specialist, visit Juvederm.com. That's J-U-V-E-D-E-R-M.com. Not for people with severe allergic reactions, allergies to lidocaine, or the proteins used in Juvederm. Common side effects include injection site redness, swelling, pain, tenderness, firmness, lumps, bumps, bruising, discoloration, or itching. There's a risk of unintentional injection into a blood vessel, which can cause vision abnormalities, blindness, stroke, temporary scabs, or scarring. Talk to a licensed specialist to find out if it's right for you. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates, like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news... All right, I'll do it. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. MintMobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom. Like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. I live in Iowa and during the Perseid meteor shower, I decided to drive out of town to get a good look without the light pollution. I found a nice gravel road and sat down in my lawn chair with a beer to enjoy the show. After about an hour, 
I hear footsteps walking toward me on the gravel road. There were no houses for several miles from where I was. I could see a form of a very hairy man walking towards me. I yelled to him in a friendly voice to let him know what I was doing and received no answer. Greeted him again, no answer. When he was about 20 yards away, he started to dig and I saw red glowing eyes. I noped right the F out of there. In the brake lights I could see a form. But no detail. I was staying in a large folly, in this case a fake castle Peckforton in the UK if you want to look it up. Anyways a bunch of us were supposed to leave the site in the evening and go for a drink in the local pub. I was told the van taking us would be down by the main gate. S off I walked. It's about half mile downhill through the woods. By the time I got to the gatehouse down by the road, it was nearly pitch black and they were long gone. So I waited for a bit just in case and then started the walk back up to the castle. After a couple of minutes I just got the feeling of being watched, I looked behind me and on the path I thought maybe there was something the size of a cat, maybe. I carried on walking freaking out a little bit. I looked back again and now there was maybe five things on the path. Maybe I sped up and then I heard noise there was definitely something following me it was in the woods on both sides of the path. I looked behind again just as the moon came out from the clouds and there were the shapes on the paths and the trees these grey lumps, dozens and dozens of them. I just ran I heard them scuffling and scratching as they ran, but sheer terror gave me a huge amount of speed and I left them in the dark and ran into the castle, never have I been more pleased to see people. When I was a child I was out hunting with my father deep in the Appalachian woods. It was getting late afternoon when we ran across what appeared to be an old overgrown logging road of some sort. We followed it up a hill and around a bend to find it blocked by a large fallen tree. We heard a terrible crashing sound from the part of the road we just came up and saw two very large black cat-like animals racing side by side up the road. I'd never seen anything like it before or since. They were sleek and all black, not making any sounds but their feet. My dad threw me behind the fallen tree and set himself up with his rifle aiming back the way we came. But these animals never appeared. We never saw them again or heard the go off into the woods at all. Could this be crawlers? A park ranger who's been doing this a long time. He told me about an incident while escorting some boy scouts out of the park at dark. To get them to their cars, he had to cross a creek that was roughly 4 feet deep and just over 3 feet wide. As he approached the water's edge with his flashlight, there were large sounds from both sides of him, growling from up in the surrounding cliffs. It sounded something like a big bear and a wolf, but much deeper. He told me it was the scariest thing he's ever heard. Even though they weren't exactly close, he knew whatever it was sounded big and it was not going to let him pass without taking a swipe at him or potentially chasing him off. So, he angled his flashlight beam to light up the water's surface, shouted at the boys crossing, stay away from the edge of the creek. Hurry or we'll be here all night. They got across safely by jumping, and as soon as they were out of sight, he heard a loud crashing sound in front of him. 
He kept shining his light straight away but never saw anything. He got to just that whatever it was, it was trying to stay hidden in the darkness. He didn't think much about it though until a few years later when I asked if he's ever seen anything creepy after dark. He said, no way whatsoever. I've been doing this for years, and there is something very spooky about that stretch of land, especially past sunset. In fact, that following summer, yet another ranger was going to check on a family, a mom, dad, and son, all hikers. He thought they were still out near the same area. When he got close enough to their campsite, he saw all three sets of tent footprints coming across the creek but only one set going back into the woods. He found them all dead, and he had to write down that it was an attempted mauling by a bear, but they had been partially eaten. Even that boy scout troop leader said what he saw resembled what looked to be a large wolf, and he believes it's the infamous Michigan dogman. Anyway, you really don't want to go camping in these parts at night. The woods just are not really safe anymore. I never expected my investigation into the mysterious disappearances along that notorious stretch of highway in Texas would lead me to such a chilling encounter. As a journalist, I was used to delving into stories with an open mind, but what I encountered on that dark and unsettling night would forever change the way I saw the world. Armed with my notepad and a determination to uncover the truth, I found myself standing alone on the side of the desolate highway. The night was draped in a shroud of darkness, the only source of light being the distant glow of my camera's red recording light. I needed to gather first-hand accounts, and my plan was to hitch a ride with one of the long-haul truckers who frequented this forsaken road. After waiting for what felt like an eternity, a rumbling engine approached, and the glaring headlights of an 18-wheeler pierced through the darkness. I waved my arms, hoping the trucker would notice my distress signal and stop. The massive vehicle slowed to a halt just ahead of me, and the driver rolled down the window. He had a rugged appearance, weathered by countless miles on the road, and his eyes bore stories of the highway that lay before him. Need a ride, partner? The trucker asked, his voice carrying a hint of caution. I explained that I was a journalist investigating the strange occurrences along the highway, hoping he might have some insight. Surprisingly, the trucker seemed willing to talk, although not about the missing persons. Instead, he leaned closer and hesitated for a moment before he began recounting his own eerie experience. It was a few months back, the trucker started. I was driving late into the night when I saw something I can't explain. There, in the distance, under the moonlight, was a creature unlike anything I've ever seen before. Intrigued, I listened intently as he described the creature. It was probably about eight feet tall, kind of dark gray with a little brown, he said, trying to conjure the image in his memory. It had a mane, sort of like a male lion, but with shorter hair around the body and legs. The most unsettling part was that it was walking upright on its back legs, like a man. I scribbled furiously in my notepad, trying to capture every detail of his encounter. The trucker continued, I tried to follow it, you know, just out of sheer curiosity, but it moved with incredible speed. Before I knew it, it vanished into the woods by the side of the road. I couldn't help but feel a shiver crawl up my spine as he recounted his experience. 
Was it possible that this mysterious creature was somehow connected to the disappearances? The thought sent a chill down my spine. In 2000, I worked in a branch of Navy that dealt with intel and advanced bio-research. On September 12, 2000, we got word that we were to go on a deep expedition 329 miles south off the coast of Maui, in search of a supposed sunken fleet of ships that had mysteriously vanished back in the 1970s but was ultimately covered up from the press. Nobody except certain branches of the military even knew about it. Researchers in that area had detected some very unique sonar signatures that could be nothing but man-made metal objects at record-breaking depths of about 5,200 meters. Before I get too far into the story, let me start with some background information. You should probably use I'm 38 years old at the time of this story. I had just got out of the Navy after serving for six years, having already gotten an early discharge because of my outstanding service. I'm only sharing this with you because I want you to know that I'm very intelligent, and I know this story is going to sound outlandish to a civilian like you. I had been stationed on the USS Glacier in Antarctica for two years, and when I finished my tour, I was assigned to the US Navy's underwater bio-research lab. I had a position parallel to a few members on the team. I was officially their security officer but they had me doing anything from feeding the dolphins to recording and entering in data. I basically had free reign at the lab, which was not a normal thing. My career in the Navy was built on my knowledge of wildlife, which is why I was assigned to the Antarctica mission where I did a center service that I cannot talk about what I did. I guess I had better get to the story. A few months before our mission, I was assigned to escort a scientist who was gathering water samples for research. I didn't like the guy because he had no regard for me or my time, and when we were coming up to the port after a few days at sea, he failed to reattach the anchor line, and we drifted out too far away from our ship. I had to call in divers for that ship to hook us back up. The scientist was humiliated, and I didn't care much. We got a distressed call from our sister's ship, the USS Berg, around midnight, which was two days into our expedition. Before we could even get to the area, apparently a man had gone overboard, and the Berg had lost visual contact with him. They sounded off the alarm, and 20 of us immediately began to scour the area for any signs he was missing. For about an hour, when he showed up at the surface, he was in a state of shock and wasn't talking much. One week went by, I guess, before he could speak in complete sentences, but during this time, he developed a sudden illness that progressed to the point where he was unable to speak altogether. He eventually passed away. We still don't know why. The research we were doing off the coast of Maui was meant to identify and locate these three ships that had vanished in the fall of 1972. They were now believed to have sunk in this perimeter. My job was to lead a small team into the deeper sections of the ocean with high-resolution sonar equipment, which required me to be on a submersible vessel and locate the crash site. Our team got out to the location at hand and began our submersion. The type of vessel we were in was a small sub capable of holding no more than seven of us comfortably. The maximum depth it can go was roughly 6,500 meters, 
but the only thing we were interested in at this time was right around the 5,200 meter mark. That's where our equipment was getting a reading from, so we all knew or speculated that this was the hot spot. The sub was able to travel at speeds of up to 5 knots, and we had a large sonar array that could detect objects up to 500 meters in front of us. We begin our descent, all of us on board were pretty ecstatic about our findings and that everything would be grand once we got deep enough to trace the location. That was until we got roughly to the 4,300 meter mark. At this depth, we lost all of our forward scanning abilities, and that was the first time I felt uneasy about this whole thing. We started to slowly sink. Our systems were malfunctioning, and there appeared to be some sort of electronic interference with our equipment. How could this be possible at such depths? There was no way that our signal could be interfered with at dips like these. To make sense of something so strange, our front lights were operating the entire time, but some of our systems were alive and active, but our propulsions were not operating. After some success of maybe 30 minutes, everything seemed to be operating smoothly again, and we continued our descent down to around the 5,200 meter mark where the ocean floor rested. We had finally arrived at the required depths, and we were now thoroughly scanning the floor for any sign or trace of the wreckage. We were in the vicinity of where our equipment was leading us. Now, this is where our story changes from one of exploration to desperation and danger. We get hit yet again with another wave of electromagnetic pulse, shutting down our entire system but yet again leaving only the very front lights of the ship. These were casting lights several hundred meters in front of us, but our internal lights began malfunctioning yet again. We're trying our best to keep our cool and not to panic. We were now slowly descending until we crashed onto the ocean floor. Unfortunately, we were only maybe 20 meters from the ocean floor, so landing didn't really do much damage, but now we're sitting ducks. In a brief moment, this massive wave smacks into our ship with so much force it hits us and causes us to topple several meters in the air broadside. We panic, on top of trying to regain ourselves. We felt helpless but to wait for the right moment. We had no propulsion capabilities, and our sonar equipment was down and going wacky. I remember thinking to myself, what made that giant wave down here? The movement in the water was so sudden, and my mind went to a place I did not even want to acknowledge. For a sudden force of that nature to happen would have to have been made by something of substantial size, meaning a large life form. I heard a sudden scream from my team. I turned and looked, and they're fully illuminated by our spotlights was this. I, what I'm telling is like straight out of a scene from Godzilla or something. This massive eye staring back at us, and just then, it quickly moved upwards, and as our lights are shining on it, we can see it's attached to something colossal in size. But due to the size and force of this thing's sudden movement alone, we are hit with yet another wave, knocking us back even more, damaging our systems, sending us flying and toppling all over. Some of us fell unconscious for a time, but we tried everything we could to get the ship back going. Our internal ship's core was now failing after taking the damage from getting banged so badly. I tried my best to radio to the surface, but it was dead. Our sonar was still down, but our systems would intermittently flicker on and off for brief functionality. 
I know in that moment I needed to do all I could to get these systems back going. It's as if we had been getting hit with waves of electromagneticism, as if this life form we had encountered was like that of a colossal sized electric eel. In a way, the sonar was now back online, but it had been damaged. I can remember hearing a high-pitched signal come from it before completely failed. I know this will be hard to believe, the sonar was now working, and the radio began working just briefly. I frantically radioed up to the surface, letting them know there was something down here, screaming at them, and we were aborting the mission. The sub was able to pull itself from the wedge of rocks it was up on, and we were beginning to successfully make our ascent back to the surface. That's when I got a reply from up top, and they told us, you are to continue on with your mission. The tone of their voice was commanding. I don't remember much after that, but I do remember failing to continue with the mission against my own will by forcing myself to stay awake from the lack of oxygen. Much of our internal systems were still glitching, and I wasn't sure if we were going to be able to make it to the surface without the systems failing and us sinking back down again. We reached the 4,600 meter point, all before our internal systems began glitching out yet again. We pushed harder and harder to press onward when at about another 200 meters, our systems turned off, failing us yet again. Our impact on the ocean floor had now severely damaged our vessel. We were now free falling down to the very bottom of the floor, roughly a thousand meters below us. Slowly, this is when I realized we're gonna die. We were already limited oxygen, and we would not withstand very long. We're sinking quickly when we get hit with yet another wave of current from what I could only assume to be that large life form we had seen that shot out twirling down into the bottom of the ocean floor. This impact knocked all of us out. Oxygen was now depleting. We were going to die. I lost consciousness. I cannot tell you how much time had passed, but I awoke to our vessel slowly ascending in the water. We were being propelled up by a large sub-vessel that was taking us up to the surface. It turns out the ship above us had sent a vessel to come get us and was able to reach us just before we ended up dying due to oxygen deprivation. That's not to say we didn't endure long-lasting problems from having that much lack of oxygen. We were brought to the surface and treated for our injuries and, of course, reprimanded and questioned why our duties were not done why we failed to complete orders. I briefly informed them what had happened down there to all of us and the mission, but it was not worth our lives. We were also let go with strict word not to speak about anything we saw, the location of the vessels, the site, or any other sensitive information that they would deem. We were forced to sign documents and lots and lots of paperwork. I've been wanting to tell my story for years, and I think it's about time. I'm submitting this to an anonymous database, so whoever gets this can unveil it for the record. My age has changed, and important details about my life, like the years in service that I was in, have all been altered to further protect my identity. While the information in this story are real events, my background and other information are just placeholders. I hope whoever reads this understands. In the summer of 2020, specifically in early July, I found myself along Lake Erie, in Erie, Pennsylvania. It's fairly densely populated, and it's not rural. 
I briefly lived with a friend after my divorce in the Westminster neighborhood. There is a large park called Asbury Woods. Some of the trees are so old and tall that they can give you a different perspective on life if you let them. There are several paths you can follow. Although it can be crowded on some days, most of the time when I was there I was the only human. The place almost takes you back in time, if you can understand that. I've read about people seeing strange animals and flying objects who report feeling odd at the time of their sightings and experiences. Some call it the Oz effect because people suddenly feel like they aren't in Kansas anymore. Figuratively speaking, nothing like that happened to me, though I'm not saying I reacted calmly. My heart raced when I saw what I described as a dog man or dog headed man. I felt panic for some time. I put some distance between myself and the beast. However, it was comparable to what I might have felt if the same situation were reenacted. I'm here to tell you what I remember about that incident. However, I feel it's imperative to note that I have been trying for literally years to explain this sighting away. I am extremely unhappy to have been unable to disprove my own observation. I'd like to debunk it. So, I used to stroll through Asbury Woods a lot in those days, always alone because I was still emotionally recovering from my divorce. I walked on the same path I had taken three or four times before but something about this time was different. I could hear someone or something walking with me in the bushes. It was a sound I had not heard before. Then suddenly, out of the bushes appeared a man over seven feet tall. He turned and our eyes met. The strange glowing eyes stood out to me. The two glowing orbs were in the middle of a giant dog head staring back at me. Those menacing eyes were above two rows of giant yellowish fangs. They looked like they belonged in dinosaur skeleton mouth at the Natural History Museum. This was not a man. Within seconds the creature was on top of me and I was on my back looking up at the beast. It leaned down with its canine snout sniffing at me from head to foot. I tried not to move. I'd never been that scared before, as that thing only needed one bite to end my life. I braced myself for the most pain I'd ever felt when someone or something whistled at a barely noticeable volume. I might not have noticed it if the dog-headed beast had not straightened up the second the sound hit the air. Nothing seemed to matter to that dog man as much as that soft whistle we had both heard. It located the sound direction in a second or two and then I was abandoned as it burst off into the woods. That was the extent of my encounter. I have tried to tell friends and family about my horrifying account, but they refused to believe me. I contacted local animal control, as well as the Pennsylvania Game Commission. I never received a response to my inquiry. Right after I graduated from college in Colorado I was hired by the National Park Service. I soon relocated to eastern Tennessee and started working as a ranger in the Great Smoky Mountains National Park. Since I was newly hired to the job I was assigned to patrolling and routine safety checks. This allowed me to roam around the huge and beautiful park. A few weeks into my employment I received a call reporting unknown animal tracks and activity all around their site. When I got there and saw what was there I thought one of the other rangers was screwing around with me. There were tracks but they were not recognizable. The tracks were human-shaped but huge and with talons. 
I checked out the area and took a few photographs and then helped the family get to another campsite. I later turned over the photos to my supervisor expecting him to laugh and come clean on the joke. But instead he was upset, thinking I was playing a prank. I asked him to accompany me to the site. But by the time we could get out there, the rain had washed away the prints. A few weeks later I received another strange call. A campsite had been completely destroyed. The tents shredded and everything trashed. The campers weren't there at the time of the incident. There weren't any footprints observed, since it was in a dry area. But I found two tufts of brown hair and fur on the ground. On this occasion my supervisor saw the destruction for himself but recorded it as bear activity. The fur and hair didn't look anything like that of a bear. Two months later, in early September, I received a call about a lost pet. The young couple had been walking their dog, but it slipped off its collar and ran into the woods. They were very upset about the lost dog. Myself and five other rangers were told to search the woods and recover the dog. We started our search in three pairs. After we walked for hours, covering the area, we didn't see any sign of the dog. It was late in the day and we hadn't received any other calls. We agreed to stay out until dark before returning to the parking lot. As the sun set, we turned around and headed for the nearest trail. There was only another half hour of daylight remaining and we felt sorry about not finding the dog. But there was nothing else we could do. As we walked on the trail, heading back to the parking lot, we heard growling sounds. We had bear spray with us if we needed it. It was almost dusk and harder to see. We couldn't identify the source of the sounds. We continued walking hoping to leave the bear behind. One of the other rangers pointed out a tree that looked mauled. There were huge scratch marks and missing branches, like a black bear would do. I used my flashlight to look at the tree base. There were the same huge human-like footprints I had seen several months before. These prints were definitely not from a bear. I told the other rangers about the clawed footprints I had seen previously. The look on their faces was chilling and their apprehension was obvious. As we discussed the prints, we heard crashing and grunting sounds nearby. We kept moving, but faster. I twice saw a dark shape run past us to our right, but the trees made it impossible to see what it was in detail. The other rangers noticed it as well. It was very bulky and tall which concerned each of us. Then, without warning, the creature lunged out of the woods onto the trail about 50 feet in front of us. I could see a dog-like face in the twilight as it loudly growled. All six of us scattered into the surrounding woods. I tripped on a tree branch and hit my head on a nearby tree. I was dazed for a few minutes, but I kept my eyes open in the hope this creature would not attack me. Several minutes later, we called out to each other and eventually gathered back on the trail. The beast must have run off. We didn't hear any further growls or crash sounds. We quickly ran along the path and arrived at our trucks in the parking lot. We got in the trucks and drove back to the ranger station. The next day, each of us was told to write a written report about our search for the dog. I recorded exactly what we encountered and, as far as I know, the other rangers did as well. But our supervisor never mentioned the incident again. By the way, the lost dog was found unharmed two days later.
It has been a long time since I had wanted to tell someone about what I saw, someone who would be willing to believe me and not judge me. It's been many years ago but I remember it as if it was yesterday. I was at work in Greensboro, North Carolina. Lunchtime came and I left for my friend's house in Allen J, High Point. In any case, it was an early spring day about 12.15 p.m. On a beautiful day. As I recall, it was 1992. As I turned down Nance Avenue on the way to my friend's house. Actually I was almost there. As I drove everything was fine. All of a sudden there was an 8 to 9 feet human-like being, maybe even taller, standing on the left side of my car on the side of the road. I couldn't believe my eyes. I slowed down to look up at it and it was very tall. The eyes were large and shaped like the normal cat's eyes we see for aliens. He was so black and dark. His cloak, as it appeared to me, came up and it seemed like he had on a toboggan type cap, but again it was so black that it melted in together with the cloak. It was skinny. And his eyes were shiny. Very thin and tall. No hands or feet were visible, he was just standing there staring straight at something. As I drove by, I kept looking in my mirror at what I was seeing. All of a sudden it turned and looked at me. Now the road I was on is hilly with up and down small hills. I was so fascinated by what I saw I wanted to come back. I never took my eyes off the humanoid as I could see just a little of him. As I turned around, I still had a visual of the humanoid. As I whipped my car around, maybe three to four seconds with my eyes not on the being, I realized he was past me. I was scared, but also fascinated. I think the only person who believed in me was my friend. I told her and took several shots of tequila at her house, which never fazed me. She said when I came flying through her door my face was very white and she knew something was wrong. I tried to calm down before returning to work. I have never seen another one, but I have seen mysterious things on the North Carolina coast where I go. Haven't seen a Bigfoot but I had two unbelievable experiences in 2017. The first experience happened at a campground. I was awakened around 4 am. By howling coyotes. About 3 seconds after the coyotes started howling, there was an erupting roar that sounded like it was coming from all sides and completely drowned out the coyotes. It was so loud and powerful that I could feel the vibrations coming up through the ground through my sleeping bag. Clearly nothing I've ever heard before. I've heard others describe hearing a roaring sound from these creatures coupled with the fact that I have studied this mystery for so long I knew right away that it had to be Bigfoot. This roar was so loud that the creature couldn't have been more than a hundred yards from me which is quite strange in itself because one side of the campground is a pretty busy road, but nonetheless the area in general of this campground is surrounded by forest. The second experience happened 30 days later. It was not far from where the first experience occurred. This time I stayed at a second campground that was much more secluded and deeper in the forest it was around 6 pm, and I and other campers were standing together talking about the hiking we had done earlier that day. Other people were out and about getting campfires started. Also there was a campground host who walked around introducing himself with a clipboard making sure people had paid and joined in the conversation. 
It was at this time that all of a sudden roughly 50 yard uphill on a ridge overlooking the campground a tree came crashing down. Moments after the tree hit the ground I and all the others standing around talking heard what can only be described as a loud guttural grunt. This is the kind of grunt you would hear from a silverback gorilla. All of us were startled, and asked each other what the heck fell that tree and made that deep guttural grunt sound. One of the other campers even mentioned it was probably Bigfoot. The other campers laughed but I didn't think it was too funny. This is because if one of those creatures was nearby, we might face a very dangerous situation. Thankfully nothing happened after that but here is where the story gets really weird. At the back of this campground is a dirt road. This road can be used for hiking or traveling during the hunting season. One of my favorite things to do when backpacking or camping is wake up early, get a fire started, and have a delicious hot cup of coffee. I got up that morning around 6 am, got my fire started and fresh coffee made. As I'm sipping coffee out of the dirt road at the back of the campground comes this white SUV completely blacked out. It has a huge sticker of a patty silhouette stuck to the back window. Me being the believer in the existence of these creatures, I have a few similar stickers on my back window so I took what I saw as a friendly visit from a fellow Bigfoot enthusiast. I casually walked up and said hello and saw if there was anything we could discuss regarding creature activity in the area. As I approached the SUV driver rolled his window down about halfway and I immediately noticed something odd. First there were two guys in the SUV and they were both dressed in full tact gear. They had two AR-15s on a gun rack at the back of the interior with both gentlemen wearing military-style boots, pistols at the ankles, black beanies and sunglasses. I mean these guys were completely decked out like law enforcement officer would be, but there was no badge, just complete tack dress from head to toe. I then playfully asked are you guys looking for Bigfoot? The driver of the SUV then said to me why do you ask? I replied I see the Bigfoot sticker at the back of your vehicle, I have a couple of those on the back window of my car also. The reply I received is very strange, the driver just looked at me without saying anything and then the passenger guy in a very stuttering kind of manner said it's just a practical joke sticker from my girlfriend. After that response the driver then stepped on the gas and out of the campground they went. I just find it odd that there is a perfectly healthy tree being pushed over by a gorilla-like grunt. Then these two tact or possible military guys show up the next morning out of nowhere driving a blacked-out SUV with an oversized Sasquatch sticker on the back window. Very odd in my opinion. And that's it. Driving to Anchorage from Fairbanks is a long haul with huge stretches of wilderness and nothing in between. A few towns but the majority is mountains and plains. In a specific pass, me and my girlfriend at the time saw a floating upside down metallic V-shaped figure hovering in the sky. It would disappear, reappear, and show up in random spots. This is an area with no people, and no scientific equipment whatsoever. This thing was high enough to be a flying object but low enough to be seen by us. We stopped the car and stared as it as it zigzagged in height and distance from us for about 20 minutes and then it just faded away. It never returned and to this day we have no idea what the F it was. I have talked to people with similar reports in the same area.
I was driving through the deserts of New Mexico alone at night. I'd been on the road for a while at this point. It was pitch black outside. There was, and I stress this, nothing around. I was probably 50 miles or so from the nearest town or rest stop in either direction. At the time I was listening to some tunes on Spotify that I had saved to my phone earlier as I knew my traveling would take me through dead zones in the Midwest. Suddenly, I hear static over the song. I check my connection to the headphone port on my phone and my radio. Seems fine. The static persists for a few seconds and then stops just as suddenly. Odd I think, but shrug it off, just some sort of electronic interference, even though I'm clearly using a hardwired audio input. It's at this point I realize that my song had stopped playing and it's now dead quiet in my car, aside from the hum of my CRV's little four-cylinder. Then out of the blue I hear whispering coming through my speakers. Multiple voices, think of the whispers in the show Lost. I can't make out what they're saying but I am petrified. Suddenly the whispering stops for a second and I hear a child laugh. More static on the radio, and what sounds like a man speaking slowly. Then, it was over, my tunes came back on. Every hair on my body was stood on end at this point, white knuckle grip on my wheel, and I added on about 30 miles per hour and noped the F out of whatever burial ground or dimensional rift I had just driven through. I don't believe in the supernatural at all, and it's likely that I was tired enough to have imagined the whole event, but that doesn't detract from the power the experience had over me in the moment. Far and away it was the creepiest thing I've ever experienced. About two years ago me and my friend were smoking in the forest at around 2 am. For some context this wasn't a US style camping trip in the deep woods. This forest is on the outskirts of London, Pole Hill if anyone's interested, and we used to hang out there in our little den and blaze. We knew the area very well and we obviously didn't have to worry about mountain lions or anything and we always felt reasonably safe. So we're sitting there toking away when all of a sudden we hear this noise coming from what sounded like about 5 to 10 meters away. It was loud and sounded like a really big gas valve being opened for a few seconds and then closed, with a kind of pop at the end. Or that noise a hot 8 balloon makes as it fills up. We were more confused and curious than scared as we knew there were no gas tanks or pipes or any hot air balloons anywhere near us but it was enough to make us both jump. It was especially strange because it was just not a mysterious or creepy location. Just a smallish wood mostly used by dog walkers. You'd go there for a walk as opposed to a hike. Anyway we decide to check about a bit in the direction it came from and when we couldn't find anything and we started joking about invisible aliens and I actually started to feel afraid. Then we saw about five people with lights coming across a small clearing towards us. Oddly, they weren't really walking together and were all separated by a couple of meters. And the torches they had were like 50 centimeter long strip lights. We didn't feel threatened, more like we just weren't supposed to be there so we left pretty hastily. We felt like they were looking for whatever made the sound. My friend likes to say an alien ship landed near us and we saw some government officials going to meet them. I would welcome a more rational explanation. 
My best is that there is indeed some sort of gas outlet totally hidden in the brambles near our den and the people were just British gas employees. Still seems strange though. I currently live near Portland, Oregon. I was recently talking to a neighbor about a strange encounter he had while working at Crater Lake National Park back in the late 1980s. The man was clearing brush and repairing a trail. One evening, soon after he clocked out, he realized he had forgotten his work bag, so he drove back to the work site. He began walking along the trail that led to where he had been working. It was then that he felt a presence like something was watching him. He says that at the time he had no idea what it was but knew it was definitely there. He continued walking and heard a strange singing sound coming from the forest. It was like a woman or a child was out there. He said it was haunting and strange. He said it seemed to be coming from the direction where he had been working which made him apprehensive about continuing. As a result, he became so concerned that he decided to retrieve the bag the next day. So he turned around and headed back to his truck. He began walking back but heard footsteps in the distance behind him. He turned around but saw no one, so he quickened his steps and continued walking. He then heard footsteps following him, and keeping pace with him. When he stopped, he said it wasn't long before he felt an overwhelming sense of danger. He began to run back to his truck. Just before he reached his truck he turned around and that's when he saw it. He observed two bluish colored eyes looking at him through the darkness. He said that there was evil in those eyes. As he watched, the rest of the creature gradually came to him. What he saw was humanoid in appearance and pale gray in color. He said it kept low. He was transfixed by the sight and paralyzed. It slowly crept towards him. Its head looked alien-like in appearance. It then stopped and stared at him without blinking. Then it quickly turned and disappeared into the undergrowth. After standing there shocked and paralyzed for a minute or two he moved. He was intrigued by what he had witnessed. He then stepped forward to try to find this being and looked around for 30 minutes. He could not locate anything. There was no sign of it at all. He eventually gave up his search and walked back to his truck. He returned to where he first heard the singing sounds and now there were tracks that looked like dog tracks but were quite large. There were only four toes on each print rather than the five that you would expect from a normal dog. After looking at these tracks for a few minutes trying to figure out what made them he had this strange sensation. His mind went blank and he couldn't remember why he was there or what had happened. He then decided to leave the area and head home. The next day while at work his boss radioed him and asked if he had seen anything strange in that area. Another worker reported seeing something unusual. He said yes and described the humanoid creature with gray skin and evil eyes. His boss was dismissive and he attempted to explain it away. He and his boss went to the area to look for the tracks. Once they arrived at the area and after looking around for a few minutes he remembers that his mind went blank again. He blacked out again like before and when he looked up from the tracks his boss was missing. He then glanced at his watch. Over two hours had passed. It was now mid-afternoon and he couldn't remember the previous two hours. That terrified him. He walked back to the parking lot hoping to find his truck. It was still there. 
he got in and immediately returned to the main station where his boss was sitting in his office. He asked him what had happened but his boss just looked up as if nothing had occurred. His boss asked him casually how his day was progressing, as if nothing had transpired earlier. That was his last day working at Crater Lake. He realized he had encountered an otherworldly entity and wanted nothing to do with it. In the many years since that incident he has never experienced anything out of the ordinary. But he stays away from Crater Lake and never plans to return to the park. I live in Chicago, in East Garfield. In June 2017, I was at a local grocery store buying food. I walked to my car, loaded the two bags into my back seat, then got into the driver's seat. As I started the car, to my shock, a young pale-skinned woman with long dark hair was sitting on the passenger side. The first thing I noticed were her coal-black eyes. She looked right into my eyes and said I need help. Please help me. She literally looked like the walking dead or zombie. I told her to get out, but she insisted that I take her to the hospital. I was scared. We weren't too far from the hospital, so I headed there. If she was crazy, I thought that I would placate her. We were about two blocks away and at a red light, when she suddenly jumped out of the car, took a few steps and vanished. No trace of her. She didn't appear like a ghost, but she was solid in form. It was as if she ran through an invisible doorway. The next day, I felt sick to my stomach and my eyes were sore and red. I believe it had something to do with this black-eyed woman. I didn't feel 100% until a week later and the terrible nightmares continued for months. This may not be related, but some of my family and friends had unexplained activity in their homes, including my brother. He lived a few blocks from me and swears there was a demon in his basement. He and his girlfriend would not venture down there and soon moved away. He had terrible dreams as well. I wish I knew what was going on. Some years back, I worked at a concrete plant myself, in an old quarry, which used to be part of a large estate, so the area was mostly mature woodland. This was December in Scotland, so was getting dark by 3 pm, on a break I took my Jack Russell out for a wander and deep in the woods spied a tent. Since the dog is a cunt, she ran over to inspect and I had to follow, juniors refused to do f all they are told. Tent was old and the fleshy was breaking up, I had to look inside but only cause there was no stench and the dog was there. Inside was a sleeping bag, steel mug and plate with cutlery and a football, all covered in moss. My shit scared mind came over all Blair witchy and I kinda ran to the nearest light patch out of the trees, only to find the edge of the quarry wall going 60 feet or so down to water. I often wonder if the kid did the same as me and found the quarry edge or just left his perfectly good stuff. This happened when I was around D16-17, 23 now, I spend a lot of my time out in the woods near my home, it's not exactly a secluded area, but I will never forget this strange ass occurrence. I live in a subdivision in Atlantic Canada mostly populated by your average families. I grew up with lots of kids my age living nearby and we would spend our time hanging out by the lakes or in the public parks. 
Unfortunately, drinking in those places would get the cops called on us, so we ventured into the forest to drink. Now this forest is really beautiful and incredibly ominous, it was an extension of the subdivision that was never developed, almost like they went in and excavated narrow paths that would eventually become roads, but did nothing further. There are two old rusted cars that look like they are from the 1970s just chilling in there and many of the paths go nowhere, some of them go to completely different neighborhoods. This lil forest is used frequently by dog walkers, novice hikers and drunk teenagers. If you walk to the end of one of the many cul-de-sacs on the edge of the forest you will find a path that will eventually lead you to a wider main path. Or alternatively you can access the forest from the main road that is adjacent to the cul-de-sacs. Basically there is a bunch of ways in and out of the forest minus the river to the north. About 20 minutes along this main path there is a steep hill you hike down and you end up in the pit. It's a perfect location to be loud and rowdy and not get the cops called, but close enough that you can find your way out fairly easy in the dark. Now that I've set the stage, I'll get on to the creepy part. One evening I was with a large group, 30 or so, of rowdy teenagers making our way to the pit when we came across a circle of tall white candles all in a circle, maybe about 10 meters away to the left in a clearing. They were unused and we all frequented this forest enough to know they were placed there recently. We thought it was a bit creepy but we assumed it was just a Halloween prank since it was October and we continued on to the pit which was about 5 minutes away and down the steep hill. Being quite the drinker I don't remember the walk back clearly, but everyone made it home safe. The following day my friend and I trekked back into the woods to retrieve her jacket and a full quart of rum. On the way back we spotted the candles only to notice that the candles were all burned down, keep in mind they were those tall white candles seen in religious ceremonies so it took some time to burn them all the way down, and six bunches of black fabric that wasn't there the night before. I'm going to assume robes ah, my friend and I noped the f out of there as fast as we could. Once we were at her house we figured out how late we were out the night before, 3 to 4 am? and that our group could have possibly walked by those robe-wearing candle-burning weirdos, not noticing because alcohol. For the next couple months my friend and I would go and check on the candles and robes, not ever going off the path to check it out because paranoia, until one day the robes vanished, but the candles were moved. Right to the edge of the path. Though not exactly thrilling, it's something that still creeps me out to this day and I would say it's damn mysterious. Since then, construction on the area has significantly widened the path and completely excavated the clearing where the candles once were. I still go hiking down there all the time but the place has lost its ominous feeling. When I was 15 my friends took me to this place in my hometown. It was about a 30 to 40 minute hike on a very poorly marked path through the woods and you could come out at the top of this giant hill overlooking a few towns. It was a pretty cool spot and after going two times with my friends, both times at night, I felt like I can totally navigate this the next weekend I brought my girlfriend just me and her. I got us up on the rock and we hung out for a while and decided to go back down and call my family for a ride, I'm 15 still. So we start walking down through the woods and we get lost. Really lost. 
I had never really paid attention to going down as much as I had going up. So we're pretty much wandering through the woods at this point with a cell phone flashlight and aiming in a general direction. Then out of nowhere about 100 yards away from us a flashlight just turns on. We both froze. It didn't move. I knew that there was a guy employed by the county who lived and worked in those woods. I had met him a handful of times and he was a nice guy. I assumed it was him and he could direct us so I called out hey. Loud. No movement on the flashlight. I called out louder hey flashlight turn on us. Then it turned off. Then we heard a rustling like leaves heading in our direction. My girlfriend whispered run in my ear and we both booked it as fast as we could. After maybe 10 minutes or so I recognized the beginning of the paths and got us back to the road where we called my parents and got home. Was a very weird experience and I still get a bit freaked out in the woods if I can't see like a road or house or anything. This happened to my grandfather years ago. I guess he was out hunting and walking around in some woods maybe 5 miles from a main road near where my family settled north of Pittsburgh. He said that he started seeing these burnt out candles and started picking them up for some reason. He followed them for like a 100 yards and at the very end there was a circle of black candles with a hole in the ground that looked to be a grave. He brought all the candles home and my grandma yelled at him and made him throw them away. I used to often spend my summers bouldering with my friends by a relatively large forest that was about an hour and a half away from where I used to live. We used to spend some of the nights camping out there just to save some travel costs and time. Anyway, I think this was roughly like the third or fourth time we were out there camping, my friend had left all her climbing gear and her rucksack just outside her tent or we definitely think she did anyway. The next morning we found her boots. A few clothes and all her chalk powder had disappeared. We figured that it could have been completely feasible that she misplaced it, although we were quite sure that they were next to her tent we didn't really want to believe that they were stolen. Anyway, we didn't read too much into this and just stupidly said to ourselves that perhaps she had left it by the boulders and some animal took an interest to it. I know it sounds stupid but it was very reasonable to us at the time anyway fast forward a year. We're at the same spot as usual, sitting by the tents and chilling after having some food. Mind you it's pitch black out, and only the camp area is lit by the fire. I go somewhere a bit out of sight for a slash and what do I see? A dude in a full-on ghillie suit laying on his stomach looking right towards our campsite. I kinda stood there frozen as this dude clocks that I've seen him and he just bolts it out of there. I don't know whether the event to the year prior was related to the Gilly guy but this definitely has stuck to all of us. We haven't been back there since which is a damn shame. We were way the F out there in the middle of nowhere on BLM land in Colorado. We drove for an hour and a half down a forest service road and didn't see another soul. You could see headlights and hear cars from miles away from our campsite, it's not like somebody could have snuck up unnoticed. We had three cars with us and eight people. Just got done eating dinner, cleaned up, it was getting dark so we went back to the cars real quick before hitting our tents for the night. 
Somebody had slashed the front right tire on each of the three cars with what appeared to be a box cutter. Everyone thought it was a prank but it become very apparent, very quickly that it wasn't. All of us were beyond spooked, like panicking, scary to watch spooked. We all had spares, and one dude had a gun, so we threw on our donuts while that guy literally guarded us and got the hell out of there. I still have nightmares about it sometimes. Just knowing there was some person, probably watching us, maybe wanting to harm us, makes me feel physically ill to this day. Edit, well this blew up. To answer some questions, this was south of gypsum. And it was 100% not private land, this was a marked forest service road in an area with dispersed camping I had visited several times before. There were three guys and five girls. The guys were all together cooking the whole time leading up to us discovering the tires being slashed. These people are my best friends and this would be wildly uncharacteristic of any of them. For those wondering how we didn't hear it, our cars were parked 30 yards away from our fire or tents. And a car coming down a road is easy to pick out from the sounds of nature. A gentle hissing gets lost in the wind. We heard it as soon as we started walking up. The tires were slashed on the exact same spot on the sidewall. It would be almost impossible for something on the road to puncture the tires like that. Also, there was no cell service. We called the cops and ranger as soon as we got back to the highway, told them exactly what FS road we were on and gave them coordinates, but there isn't a lot for them to do. Cop told us it was good we were packing and to be careful out there. A tangential experience your story reminded me of from when I was younger, my buddies told me about an abandoned mansion in the area and my curiosity got the best of me to go check it out. According to what they said, the neighbors were fond of calling the police whenever they saw someone unfamiliar checking the place out, so me, being the, not, genius I was, decided to go the back way through the woods, cause the house was relatively close to a trail. I pulled the address of the allegedly abandoned mansion up on my phone and punched it into my GPS, then went off into the woods, checking and basically stumbling off the trail to move myself closer to the mapped address. For the curious, this wasn't a serious trail where this could put one in danger, Meadowdale Beach Trail for the curious. Some might know the house I'm talking about, if they're from my area, but hey. Anyway. Partway through I found my way to a strange, paved back road in the middle of the woods. Never figured out what it was, didn't follow it. I'd come from one side, from off the trail, and on the other side was a steep hill. I thought I heard a car, I didn't, panicked, and climbed up the hill to hide. At the top, I spotted a group of about a dozen tents. This was about 1 to 2 p.m. in the afternoon, but a solid 30 plus minutes from the trail, with only what appeared to be a private road. I promptly crapped myself and slipped away before seeing anyone or waiting for them to see me, but did end up finding the mansion after all this, albeit on a different trip into the area. It was the night before Christmas Eve in 2000 or 2001. My dad and I were driving about 10 miles to a grocery store. I can't remember why we went to one that far away from home, as there were closer stores, but for some reason, we were on the other side of town at this grocery store. 
We needed to buy some supplies for the next day, as we were hosting Christmas Eve for our large extended family. When we were done, we loaded up the car and moved a little quicker than normal because it was starting to snow. At that time, we had a cheap car that was not ideal for snow travel, so we wanted to get home as quick and safely as possible. I checked the time and noted that it was just before 8 p.m. I remember that, because I really wanted to get home, help my mom make cheesecakes. My dad thought he would be able to shave some time off the commute back home if he cut through the residential area behind the grocery store. So, that is what we did. We began to navigate through the neighborhood. My dad had taken this way before, so he knew where he was going. We came to our turn and made a right onto a street and we were looking at Christmas lights and commenting on the really well done decorations and the not so well done decorations. Dad made a left at the next street and we saw the same decorations on the same houses. Dad even said out loud, didn't we already see that house? I agreed and even pointed out an ugly house that I remembered. It was really memorable. I can still remember it actually. When we came to the end of that street, my dad knew he needed to make a left, but last time, when we made a left, we didn't end up where we wanted to be. So, he made a right. Again, it was the same street. When we were sitting at the stop sign, looking ahead onto the street where we were going to go, it didn't look like the same street. But when we drove onto it, it changed. Just like before, we recognized the houses and dad stopped the car. He looked at me and I looked at him. Somehow, we were stuck on a loop. The snow was starting to accumulate, and dad didn't want to put the car in reverse, for fear that we'd slide or something. So, we kept pushing forward. I have to mention, that as we are making numerous passes on the same street, a straight street by the way, it wasn't a curved road. There are no tire tracks in the thin layer of new snow. If we were traveling the same road a minute ago, our tracks should have been there. Moving on, we passed all the same houses again and came to the same stop sign again. This time, dad made a left like he had the first time. This time, the street changed and it was the street he wanted to be on. But, we noticed that in the last few minutes, the snow had gotten really deep. Probably two or three inches in a matter of, what we thought was ten minutes. I glanced at the time and noted that it was 9.14. I said, Dad, it's after 9. He hit the brakes and looked at the clock. My dad was a Vietnam vet. He wasn't afraid of anything and I never really saw him display anything other than calm stoicism. Except that night. That night, I saw actual confusion and fear pass over his face. He stomped it down pretty quickly, but for a moment, I saw it. He was freaked. We finally made it to all the familiar routes to get home. When we pulled into the driveway, we both just sat there for a minute. Then, Dad said that was weird. We got out and brought our groceries in the house. For being in the trunk for over an hour, the frozen items were still frozen. When we walked in, my mom and brother both said, almost in unison, where have you been? We didn't know. I am emailing you to tell you about something that happened to my granddad. This is a story he told me around Christmas time last year that happened to him, and I was spooked out. 
I have known my granddad all my life and trust him more than most. He would never glamour up a story to make it sound better or anything like that. When he told me this I believed it all happened how he said it did. I never took him as a man with strong beliefs about anything paranormal and he was not religious like my gran, his wife. When he told me this, I noticed he was so normal and quiet. It happened in the late 60s. He moved down to Manchester from Glasgow where he met my gran and got a job as a bus driver. One night he worked a late shift into the early morning hours, operating a double-decker bus. There was just him driving, and another man conducting he worked with. It was the early hours of the morning and the bus route he was taking was from Manchester city centre straight to Rochdale town centre, around 8 or 9 miles. As he drove this route he stopped at a bus stop, just outside Manchester centre, and picked up two young boys, around 10. He also said it was strange because they shouldn't be out at this time. He described them as odd, but anyway he let them on and they paid and climbed upstairs to the top deck. These two kids were the only two he picked up on the route from Manchester to Rochdale. My granddad arrived at the last stop in Rochdale and waited for these kids to get off. He waited, and nothing. So the conductor walked upstairs to get them. They were departed, there was nobody up there they checked everywhere, under the seats. And there was no way they could have left. They would have had to walk past my granddad to exit the bus door. There were no broken windows, and you couldn't open them enough to jump out. They opened maybe around 5 centimeter at the top to allow air in, but that's it. My granddad was freaked out, but the conductor was totally freaked out. He refused to stay on the bus and finish the route back to Manchester bus station with my granddad. But, the weird thing was, when they counted the money from the bus that day, the money that these two kids paid with wasn't there. It didn't add up, as if it was never there. 